Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Quantum Spirituality on DreamVision7RadioNetwork.com, the show where past spiritual wisdom and present-day science merge to show us our future. Your host is Peter Canova, author of the 25-time award-winning book series, The First Souls Trilogy, available on Amazon and Peter's website, PeterCanova.com. That's P-E-T-E-R-C-A-N-O-V-A.com. This show is a live video, so if you're only listening and want to watch, go to Peter's website, PeterCanova.com. P-E-T-E-R-C-A-N-O-V-A dot com, where you can access his Facebook page to leave comments or questions. And click the D7RN link where you can receive a free gift video. And we're live. Good morning, everybody, especially to you early risers out there in the West Coast. Uh, this is Quantum Spirituality on <laughs> 7radio.com. I'm your host, Peter Canova, author of the First Souls Trilogy, which is available on my website, petercanova.com. That's P-E-T-E-R-C-A-N-O-V-A.com. And uh, I want to make a little announcement here that the, the Quantum Spirituality, the book, uh, is uh, is out and um, the uh, it became an Amazon bestseller and the first print is sold out. So uh, it's currently unavailable. Um, although I do feel I, I do believe that there are still a few copies uh, left in Amazon um, by some sellers, but the uh, reprint will be out in April. So uh, watch for that. And actually, I'll announce when uh, the new pre sales for the second edition start. So, um, you know, having said that, we have uh, a very interesting show today. Uh, the theme here is awakening or rising into consciousness. And that's a topic that really kind of is at the core of the quantum spirituality show. And our, our three guests, it's very interesting. They all come from traditional Christian backgrounds, but they experienced a, a transformation of consciousness that often came at a great personal cost to them, given the culture in which they were raised. So uh, we have Reverend uh, John Scott. Uh, he comes from three generations of fundamentalist preachers. Uh, and from his earliest years, he always had a love of music, singing in church, and connecting with people. Uh, John is a consummate communicator and world changer who skillfully unveils mysteries through meditations, song, and inspirational messages. He makes a cosmic concept of the universe accessible and easy to understand through his visionary teachings. Um, John is helping to create a better world by showing people new ways to see it. And he received some of his inspiration from the teaching of leaders such as Wayne Dyer, uh, Bishop Carlton Pearson, and Baba Ramdas. And he considers himself to be a lifetime student and open to all inspiration. And speaking of Bishop Carlton Pearson, he is another guest in our show. He is the author of The Gospel of Inclusion and Get the Hell Out of My Bible, uh, a documentary movie, American Heretics, on Netflix, uh, was made about uh, Bishop Pearson. And he was one of the most beloved Pentecostal, Pentecostal Christian personalities of his generation. Um, he would fill arenas full of thousands of people and uh, churches and hear him sing, preach and inspire. Uh, but these things dramatically changed when he stood in his megachurch pulpit one day to proclaim a new doctrine, one that declared that because of Christ, no soul will spend eternity in hell. 
this controversial doctrine polarized uh, faith communities all over the world. And Bishop Harrison wasn't prepared for the rejection and the stones that were aimed at him. He lost everything, his influence, his church, his friends, and his finances. In a short time, he went from one of the church's most beloved figures to an outcast seemingly overnight and became the most prominently accused heretic of his generation. After spending the last two decades rebuilding his life and ministry, Reverend uh, Bishop Pearson has emerged with a new purpose aimed to help others examine and reconsider what they believe, why they believe it, and how those beliefs add to, uh, add to or subtract from the quality of their lives. He believes that life's uh, breakdowns can be uh, turned into breakthroughs. And we have Pastor D.E. Polk. Uh, he is the senior pastor of Spirit and Truth Sanctuary in Atlanta, Georgia, where he successfully transitioned an evangelical charismatic church into a thriving <laughs> multicultural interfaith LGBTQ uh, affirming con congregation. And we, we need to find out how that happened. Uh, D.E. holds a Master of Theological Studies uh, in Global Rel Religions from Emory University, uh, Emory, Emory University Candler School of Theology, and is widely known as a radically inclusive minister who believes that the Christ spirit is present in all of creation and cannot be defined by nor confined to Christianity. DE's preaching is as easygoing as the church's approach to differences. No wagging fingers or thunderous revelations. He treats parishioners as fellow companions on a spiritual journey. He sprinkles his conversational sermons with references to everyone from the Buddha to Teddy Pendergrass. So, um, you know, we, we all, we, I just, kind of went through some of your backgrounds, but could each of you just take a brief moment and tell me what was the seminal moment or, or, or the, 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 the moment that really led you to make these radical changes from the backgrounds and, and the things that you were you know, previously um, talking to people about or espousing. So, um, John, let's start off with you. Can, you know, did you have an instance or what it, was it a gradual process? Can you just uh, briefly tell us about that experience? Well, Peter, first of all, thank you for allowing us to be on your program. Um, thank you for letting us participate in your quantum spirituality. Um, all of us here have a deep appreciation for science um, and the connection that it has with spirituality. In answer to the question, I was raised three or four four generations, Pentecostals, evangelical fundamental uh, preachers. Um, and so at 14 years old, I started preaching, doing youth revivals and youth lock-ins and anywhere they would let me scream and holler and do my thing that I really believed was my calling. And at about 19 years old, I began to pastor or pester, depending on who you talk to, my first church in Middlefield, Georgia, in a back alley. Uh, we had about six people. We were right next door to a bar. I remember actually helping people up off of our steps some Sundays um, after a really long night in a college town. Um, I found out real quick you had to have more than five sermons. You had to figure out how to preach or uh, share with people uh, every single week. And for us, we were Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And when they had an excuse, we would have it on another night, too. So I started watching TV and Praise the Lord program, uh, essentially plagiarizing. That's what a lot of preachers and lawyers do. One night I was watching and it was the last time Bishop Pearson was on TBN. 
And he said some things that rattled my cage that night. I remember recording it on a VHS tape and I would record not to copy the sermons, but, you know, to gather inspiration. And I had loved the voice and the speaking style um, as well as the preaching of Bishop Pearson since I was really young. And that particular night, he pointed at the camera and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he began to unpack what that actually meant scripturally, contextually, and with the language of the, of the time. And it rattled my whole life. So that's what I see as a pivotal moment for me. In fact, I was so rattled, Peter, I had to take the tape out and throw it across the room because I was scared of it. I was like, you can't say those things. Because he was talking about something that I had been taught was uh, sinful and deceptive. For about two weeks, I walked past the tape till I finally put it in. And I watched it until you couldn't even see it anymore. You know, you see fuzz on the screens. So that for me was the, a pivotal point to hear a voice of reason in my world of chaos. And it shifted things for me. My shift hit the fan and got flung everywhere. Now I call well, that, it my that, holy shift. That, that's really interesting. So let's talk to the gentleman who helped uh, change the course <laughs> of your life. Uh, Bishop Pearson, can you tell us what was uh, what was your defining moment that, that caused you to take this radical step that cost you so much personally? My t- thank you. We, we were, we're all three. These are two of my favorite human beings on the planet. So I'm crazy about these young gentlemen who are brilliant and spiritual. And all of our testimonies are similar, similar because uh, we came from the same fundamentalist Pentecostal. And the Pentecostals are the extreme, extravagant, exotic form of fundamentalist Christianity in the world, certainly here in America. I wrestled all my life with a... Um, subtle disdain for fear of paranoia about hell. Um, I'm a fourth generation classical Pentecostal preacher. And all I've ever known was this exotic, embracing, emotional, devotional, and I was that emotional spirituality. When, uh, But I couldn't get past the hell thing. And I carried that for many, many years. There were several seminal moments, but mine gradually graduated into expanded consciousness when I lost my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, who was a quote-unquote Christian, backslidden Christian, died, massive heart attack. We presumed that she went to hell. Then I had a lot of cousins and uncles and aunts and people that I loved go to hell. Most of the, my family and friends believed in Jesus and the gospel and hell and heaven and angels and demons. And all. So, But I was losing so many of them. I was happy about the few who were saved, but most saved, but most of them were, too many of them were going to hell. I couldn't get past the hell issue. And that was the primary uh, nagging harassment psychologically that I went through all my life. And at some point, I began to reconsider what I believed about it. And if it was, it seemed absurd, obscene, vulgar, arrogant, that God would not only create a customized torture chamber, for supposedly the devil's followers, but then so many people I knew that I really believed loved God, but feared God was there. So the fear, my faith in God initially was fear of God. And I got confused about what did I have more faith in faith or more faith in fear or more faith in God. And I found out they were all the same thing because of the way I was uh, maligned in my thinking. So I, I wrestled with the fear factor for all my life, till I was around 50, I started speaking out about it. And that's some of the things that John. Well, I, I find I find that really interesting because 
Um, even though, you know, one might say your your case of wrestling with that fear, you know, was, was a, a little bit um, on the extreme side. I think almost all Christians, I mean, look, I can remember as a kid, uh, I used to have a little statue of the Virgin Mary on the mantelpiece of the fireplace in my room. And I remember how many times that uh, I prayed because I thought I did something bad and, you know, I, I was trying to get forgiveness and everything else. And, you know, that, that uh, fear-based religion, primarily comes from the Old Testament, because if you understand the New Testament, Jesus was preaching a message of love, not a, not a message of, of fear. And interestingly enough, the Gnostics, who uh, we talk a lot about on this show, recognized a couple thousand years ago, they were basically saying the same thing. They were basically, you know, basically saying, you know, the, the, this, uh, the, the tribal God of Israel, that jealous, vengeful God, uh, was was really not the real God because if you if you believe that you believe that you were a separate creation from God rather than a, a part of God's essence projected you know into another form. So once the not when the Gnostics understood that they really said, well, there really is no reason to fear God because we are God, we are parts of God, and albeit we may have uh, limited perception for various reasons, um, you know the, this whole idea of of um, being these separate creations rather than emanations of spirit, leave these little wind-up dolls left in this lunatic asylum down here to fend for ourselves. You know, once you understand and you really truly believe that you are part of the divine essence, it, it changes your perspective on things. So, um, Pastor uh, Polk, could you please tell us a little bit about your personal experience in this regard? Sorry, I think I've, uh, thank you, Peter. I think I've had yeah, many seminal moments. Now. Okay. I did want to say thanks, uh, Peter, for, for um, facilitating this, uh, this forum. I, I'm eager to see in, in my tradition or former tradition that science and spirituality can hold hands, uh, that they are not uh, enemies, but there's a middle way, a truth <clears throat> in the tension. Although disparate, uh, um, they can exist without being dissident or dissenting. Uh, so thank you for, for uh, facilitating this. Uh, I'll, I'll offer this, Peter. I've, I've had many um, seminal moments. Um, I think uh, as it relates to today, the context of today's conversation, about 20 years ago, I had spoken at an international conference. We were the fourth largest church in America. We had 40 nations represented at a, uh, at a yearly conference. And I just finished speaking uh, on all the different constructs and um, doctrines, dogmas, dictates of our faith tradition. And uh, when, when I finished speaking, I got about 50 speaking invitations all over the world. And I drove home from, the, from that engagement and really in a moment of ego and pride, um, Spirit said to me, tell me you don't know. And I resisted and I said, I do know. I just taught in 40 different nations. I've got 50 invitations all over the world. I have mastered uh, you know, the dogma that I was raised in. And uh, Spirit kept coming back to me saying, tell me you don't know. Finally, in frustration, I said, I don't know. And then uh, as it relates to quantum uh, spirituality, there was a quantum download that happened in my life, Peter. And I had not read Eckhart Tolle. I had never studied the Buddha. I had not read, I had not uh, researched any sort of um, mystical sense of, um, of Judaism called Kabbalah. And it was all downloaded to me without me ever studying. Uh, that was the moment in my life. I was speaking at Morehouse College to a group of uh, seminarians. And I just began to talk about 
what I called at that point, a spiritual thought progression. And I, I, I laid out the levels of absolute thought, abstract, mystic receptivity, spiritual oneness. And all of a sudden, the president of Morehouse came up and said, you have just heard, young men and women, the greatest teaching on Kabbalah that I've ever heard. And I asked him, I said, what is that? <laughs> and he said, wow. He said, what's happened is you've opened a portal by celebrating the beginner's mind. And all of a sudden, in this, in this sense of spiritual humility, or I don't know, um, something at that point, I knew that God was bigger than my Bible. God was bigger than my Christian tradition. And that there was something in us that was uh, dying to be birthed uh, outside of us. Well, it sounds like you had what would be called a Gnostic revelation there, uh, kind of a spontaneous revelation, which I, I understand quite well. I've been through that, um, you know, myself. Um, I want to uh, just uh, ask everybody a question here about spirituality and religion, you know, uh, and I might have to pose this question, then you all think about it and answer it um, after the break, which is coming up here. But um, the difference between spirituality and religion. So I've often told people on this program that the way I kind of view that is that if we're travelers, uh, spiritual travelers, journeyers, and we're on a path and we see these way stations along the way and we stop in, uh, the, the religion will say, okay, we've got the truth and it's in this box here. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll take you in, but stay within this box of, of truth. Whereas, uh, the spiritual, uh, journey, uh, would be you, you go to that way station and you take what you can from it. You say thank you and you move on to the next way station because, you know, truth is not, uh, necessarily a fit, you know, a fixed condition that we're growing and we're learning. So spirituality, let's say, is more of an open-ended experience as opposed to a, a closed box experience. So, um, uh, let me, John, uh, let me just throw that over to you. We have a, a, a couple minutes here before the break. Let me throw that over to you first. What is your, um, view of the difference between spirituality versus religion? Well, if I had a photo, I would probably show you a photo of religion. And here's a goldfish inside of a small jar. And they're only going to grow to the extent of their environment. Spirituality is a bigger jar. But if you pan further out, I think even spirituality in some ways has become just a bigger bottle. Uh, spacious consciousness is even bigger. And I'm, I assume that at some point we maybe would be able to confine it too. But that's the way I see religion as something that defines and confines spirituality brings us into a level of freedom, but I think it also invites us into something even further than that because spirituality is also a label. And so once we realize that there is no uh, label, there is no way to define or to confine this thing that we're talking about because we know it's not even a thing, um, who knows, right? But spirituality and religion, I would say spirituality is an invitation to something much bigger than religion is. But I think also spirituality has a little bit of limitation as well. I know is a blind spot. I don't know just allows the question to bring us into the quest and that's endless spacious consciousness. Okay. Um, Bishop Pearson, we have about one minute before the break here. Can you give us your quick take on this question? Religion is what you believe. Spirituality is what your soul and your cells know or remembers about some pre-incarnate reality that we were before we were incarcerated or incarnate 
it in our bodies. Uh, faith is for people who doubt, who don't know. When you know, you don't need faith. And spirituality is the, is the truth that transcends faith and or belief. And so it's scientific, it's spiritual, and has a lot of art, artistry and, gate, and grace connected to it. Okay, great. So uh, we have to take a break here for a minute. Uh, this is Quantum Spirituality on DreamBridges7Radio.com. Uh, I'm your host, Peter Canova, and uh, we'll be back shortly with our three guests to talk about uh, growing into consciousness and growing into spirit. How did life start on Earth, and why is there so much suffering? Are we living in a simulated reality like the characters in the Matrix movie? Do parallel dimensions exist alongside ours, influencing our experience? What are the mysterious dark energies that penetrate our universe? Peter Canova folds space and time to bring the twin bookends of ancient wisdom and quantum science into a single focal point, answering these and many other deep mysteries of the creation. Quantum Spirituality can be heard every Tuesday at 10 a.m. and 10 p.m. Eastern and 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Pacific on syndicated Dream Vision 7 radio network. See the show where past and present merge to show us our future. What if dreams can diagnose your life? What if we can meet the love of our life in dreams? Join host Cat O'Keefe Cannabis, the number one internationally best-selling author of Dreams That Can Save Your Life, written with Duke University medical doctor Larry Burke. Dreaming Healing is where we'll explore dreams, research, and interpret dreams from you, the caller. Dreaming Healing Shows can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. Eastern with live shows on the first and third evenings at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Come live your dreams out loud with Cat. In a world facing annihilation, a miraculous African nun rises to become the first female pope through a web of war, murder, and betrayal. Loved by some, hated by many, she becomes the deadly target of Islamic terrorists and her own cardinals as she introduces a new vision that will either save humanity or accelerate its destruction. Four people must race against a nuclear holocaust to learn her astonishing secret. Pope Annalisa is available at PeterCanova.com, Amazon, and other online booksellers and bookstores worldwide. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow. Welcome back to uh, Quantum Spirituality on syndicated DreamVision7Radio.com. I'm Peter Canova. Now you can watch the show online uh, on your or uh, have uh, listen to it on your phone in cars with Bluetooth and through Amazon's Echo by asking Alexa play DreamVision7Radio.com. If you have any questions or comments, you can leave it on my website PeterCanova.com 
where you can also link to my Facebook page uh, to comment uh, Peter Canova author, which is on my Facebook page. So we're, we're back with our uh, three guests talking about uh, growing into uh, awareness and consciousness. And um, Pastor uh, Polk, I'd like to ask you specifically, because this, this really intrigues me. You actually transition a congregation from fundamentalism to a more, uh, much more open-minded spiritual approach. Now, I, I, I was not raised in a fundamentalist background. However, I did have friends <laughs> who uh, kind of dragged me into some fundamentalist churches one day. And I, I, I got to tell you, from what I saw there, this is quite a feat. So could you just take a minute and tell us, uh, how, how did you accomplish that process? Absolutely. Um, I did want to take about 20 seconds and just speak briefly to the last question, uh, if that's okay. I, uh, just a couple of little cliches that we use in my spiritual community. That is, religion uh, tells you what to think. Spirituality teaches you how to think. Religion sets a plate of food in front of you and says, eat it. Spirituality hand use a menu and says what works for you. And so the only question that really works in, in our spiritual community is, is it working for you? And so mm-hmm. you really made my baby leap, Peter, when you talked about truth not being a fixed point. Ooh, I started, I had a Holy Ghost shout come up on me. Um, truth is a journey, not a destination. We are being transitioned, transformed into that image as by the spirit of God from glory to glory, here a little, there a little, line upon line. We celebrate the beginner's mind the, uh, in Zen, the, uh, the Zen bardo space, emptiness in, Bo- in Buddhism. All right, so I had to, I had to get that in there. Uh, thank you, Peter, for, for uh, bringing us that question. So uh, I am a glutton for punishment. I live in the Bible <laughs> Belt of the United States and uh, chose, to, uh, <laughs> chose to transition an evangelical church into a gay-affirming, LGBTQ+, inclusive, interfaith congregation. Uh, you know, that process is, um, it's kind of like cutting the grass, Peter. Uh, you cut it on Saturday and then Thursday, the grass is growing again. It, it requires constant maintenance, constant awareness uh, of listening to the. Only uh, constant in the universe, we all change but we change at our own pace and in our own space. So change that is forced becomes dictatorial. Change that is resisted or resented uh, eventually leads to extinction or at least irrelevance. And so in our congregation, if I offered a scripture, um, uh, a saying from Buddha, I would immediately have to say, and Jesus said it like this. If we sang uh, the Gayatri Mantra, a Hindu uh, Hindu chant, um, we immediately would sing uh, a gospel song right after that. And so we were, I was constantly trying to allow people to, to make this transition without shoving it down their throats. And now 20 years later, we open the service with, um, with uh, Omani Padmeon. We go right into a Richard Smallwood song. We come into a responsive reading from uh, Jiddu Krishnamurti. We come right into a prayer of healing. We kind of just navigate back and forth through our tradition. We sprinkle in interfaith. And so it allows people the, the chance to see their filters, to see their paradigms, to shift their uh, their perspectives. And the semantics is really important, Peter. And that is um, saying things like, eat what you can. I'm going to offer you a lot of food today. I'm going to plant a seed of consciousness in the back of your uh, of your subconscious mind. It may not be for this season. There are no deal breakers here. I tell people, if you still believe in the devil, I, I support you in that. I, 
I stopped dating the devil about 20 years ago, but if you still need it, have at it. We don't live in blame and shame any longer. But, you know, transitioning that spiritual community has been quite a journey. Bishop Pearson has been uh, quite a, a help to me in that. Uh, Reverend John Scott has been an amazing uh, brother during this transition. We've all kind of helped each other's communities uh, make this transition. Well, you know, um, th that's great because at one time before, uh, you know, in the so-called pagan era, there was a universal body of wisdom. And the principles uh, behind that were common to really uh, all cultures. And uh, so it's very appropriate that, you know, today in a modern church that, you know, we draw from all those traditions, which really at their core are not so different than what the religions would have us believe, because there was always an inner spiritual tradition and it was always lacquered over by an outer religious dogma. And it made it look like, well, you know, you're you're worshiping a different God than I am. My God is better than you are. But in actuality, spirit is no respecter of religions. You know, it, it, spirit, spirit is something that's universal within all of us. So um, what is your all view of consciousness in relation to God or creation? On, on this show, we, we talk a lot about consciousness being the foundation really of everything. And that's not just from a spiritual point of view. That's also from a quantum scientific point of view, because what we're seeing is that in order to explain all the various paradoxes uh, in, in science and nature and in the quantum world, uh, most of the, all those paradoxes go away if you understand that uh, consciousness is actually the basis uh, of life and creation rather than a, a byproduct of it. But I'd like to ask uh, Bishop Pearson, uh, could you tell us what what is what is your view of consciousness and its role um, in in spirituality? Uh, consciousness or conscience is with knowledge science con science. I'm more into knowledge than I am faith, as I said a few minutes ago. A person in, in Latin is conscientia with knowledge. Um, Science and, and spirituality are not enemies. They are really uh, fraternal twins. <laughs> they, they, are, they inform each other. They used to deny each other for years. We made them enemies, but they're not so much enemies anymore. I believe that they are recognizing each other in front of us publicly. They're saying we're the same thing. It's what you know more than what you believe. I think we come here in it from the pre-incarnate reality. There's a scripture in Jeremiah where God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you, not before I informed you, before I gave you physical form, I informed you. I gave you the knowledge of who you are and why you are and sent you to the planet, the earth plane or planet. And so we came here knowing. And then between the womb and the tomb, we forgot what we knew and started believing what we were told. Um, and then that's where we got screwed up, if I could use that terminology. We actually know the truth. We are the truth. We experience it in our essence. But there's so many things happening externally that it distracts us and really attracts us to something that feeds our base nature, which is fear. So science and consciousness, again, are something that we already are. We have a mind, we have a body, but we are spirit. We're not just human beings looking for spiritual experiences. We are spirit, as you know, having an earthly encounter. 
Yeah, I I, I really uh, concur with that. I mean, especially when you talk about faith and knowledge, that's a very interesting topic because, um, you know, if you go back to the ancient church, the Gnostics were really the first Christians. And the difference between them and the Orthodox Church was that they emphasized knowledge over faith yes. because faith is something that you take from a third party, in essence. And uh, I, I liken it to, I, I always use this analogy. Um, faith is having somebody tell you that fire burns. Knowledge is putting your hand in the fire and feeling it. Then, then, you know, then you own it and you know, you know, it's truth. And when we make that spiritual connection, like, um, for instance, let's, let's just say Re- Reverend Polk had that revelation, um, that is a contact, you know, with, with higher consciousness. And, and it's a truth that you own because in actuality, we already know everything. All the knowledge of the universe is inside us. It's just that we have to remember it. So life is really more, more remembrance than, than learning. Um, uh, John, do you have any, uh, any thoughts on this? Well, you know, my typical answer to really any of these things is, you know, I, I am very much where Bishop Pearson is with this, with I'm, I'm more um, intrigued by and curious about the knowing than believing. But as far as consciousness, you know, here's what I think of when I think of consciousness. I think of consciousness as the energetic stream from the source that flows to us, through us, as us. And it, it, is, it is a part of our very nature. It's a part of our essence. It is who we are. And I love what you said. It's about remembering what the conditioning tends to dismember. It's about putting back together um, to me, it's about the reconnection of heaven and earth. And, and this is what I think is dealt with when we deal, you know, out of the East, we talk about chakras and the chakra system from the root to the crown. It's just about opening the stream again. Um, it's not something we have to do. You don't become it. You just become aware of what you already are. And to me, that's how I live my life now. It's, it's about awareness and surrender. I surrender to who I already am. Instead of being um, held captive by who someone else told me to be, so consciousness for me is that it's it's just that that strand of energy, that stream of energy that runs to us, through us, and as us, and we can stop showing up as the imposter, and we can become the apostle of our life, which is the one who is a special sent messenger calling forth the truth of who we are. Okay, let me go to Pastor Polk. Um, how do you incorporate science into your spiritual teachings? What role, um, you know, does science uh, play for you in the whole scheme of things? You know, there there are so many laws of the universe that govern uh, that type of consciousness. Um, you know, as growing up in a in a church that was very heavy into what we would call covenantal teaching, uh, coming from Malachi chapter three. Uh, specifically about the tithe. Uh, if you robbed God of the tithe, you were cursed with a curse. Um, and so in that framework, instead of, uh, I'm, I'm actually answering, Peter, I'm, ans- I'm answering questions in your chat while we're talking. Um, but we, we have shifted the way we even approach giving to a more scientific um, uh, methodology. And that is, instead of this idea of, you know, giving out of fear, Afraid of God, you know, scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That really means reverential awe, but that's King. We have King James to thank for that mistranslation. Um, so when, when we get, when we give on Sunday mornings, we talk about things like thermodynamics. 
action, for, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. That translates um, more uh, colloquially to things like sowing and reaping, giving and receiving. We exhale and then we inhale. Jesus said it this way, if you seek first the kingdom, other things will be added. When, you, when your vibration reaches that match, okay, when, when we give without a spirit of lack or without fear, uh, that's the reason God loves a cheerful giver is because when we give in cheer, we are saying there is no lack in the universe. There's no lack in my life. I'm created by God, creative like God, creating as a God. And in this moment of my scientific approach to giving, I'm understanding that there are laws that even govern uh, the conscious, uh, the conscious mind during uh, during giving, and so it's in that framework that we we include science uh, uh, constantly. I did want to make one quick comment, uh, Peter, about the last question. Jiddu Krishnamurti, who's the founder of the Theosophical Society, uh, said this. He said, "When you call yourself a Christian or a Muslim or an Indian or anything else, you are being violent. Why are you being violent?" Because in that definition, in that defining of yourself, you're separating yourself from the rest of mankind. And any person, any spirit, any mind that desires to seek peace has to begin with the idea that I have to stop separating myself. And so oh, I want to we, throw that uh, in there that, with the a, interface. That's a great thought. Can we, uh, uh, I'm, we have to take a little break now, but uh, I'm just going to ask you before the break to think about this. Um, how do you see traditional Christianity evolving and what is the future of religion? So we'll talk about that question uh, when we resume from our break. This is Quantum Spirituality on DreamVision7Radio.com. I'm Peter Canova. Don't go away. We'll be right back. How did life start on Earth, and why is there so much suffering? Are we living in a simulated reality like the characters in the Matrix movie? Do parallel dimensions exist alongside ours, influencing our experience? What are the mysterious dark energies that penetrate our universe? Peter Canova folds space and time to bring the twin bookends of ancient wisdom and quantum science into a single focal point, answering these and many other deep mysteries of the creation. Quantum Spirituality can be heard every Tuesday at 10 a.m. and 10 p.m. Eastern and 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Pacific on syndicated Dream Vision 7 radio network. See the show where past and present merge to show us our future. darkest hours to brightest moments transformation from despair to happiness and chaos to clarity real people real pain real healing life-threatening illness death abusive relationships divorce and overcoming addiction are challenges these men and women faced head-on See how they emerged stronger and happier. Buy the new book, Chaos to Clarity, Sacred Stories of Transformational Change by Reverend Patricia Caginello and Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis. Available on sacredstoriespublishing.com and worldwide through Amazon and other retailers. Why are we here? How can we be happy? Questions asked from millennials to boomers. 
Crappy to Happy, sacred stories of transformational joy answers them using true stories of grit, grace, and love. James Redfield, author of The Celestine Prophecy, wrote in the foreword, This book is a seminar about emerging truths and offers grounded solutions through the art of the comeback. Dr. Bernie Siegel, a contributing author, wrote, Bodies die, but spirits and consciousness survive and recycle. So, grab some tissues, open your book, and prepare to cry and laugh till it heals. Crappy to Happy by Reverend Ariel Patricia and Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis. Available from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and booksellers worldwide. In a world facing annihilation, a miraculous African nun rises to become the first female pope through a web of war, murder, and betrayal. Loved by some, hated by many, she becomes the deadly target of Islamic terrorists and her own cardinals as she introduces a new vision that will either save humanity or accelerate its destruction. Four people must race against a nuclear holocaust to learn her astonishing secret. Pope Annalisa is available at PeterCanova.com, Amazon, and other online booksellers and bookstores worldwide. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow. And we're back. Welcome back to Quantum Spirituality. Uh, I'm Peter Canova. I just want to remind everybody, the Quantum Spirituality book has been out, uh, became instantly an Amazon bestseller. Uh, First edition is sold out. Um, They're doing a reprint now, uh, but you can go to Amazon, Simon & Schuster website, or any really of the uh, websites where um, they sell books. And uh, I believe there's still a few out there, maybe by third-party sellers, but watch for uh on amazon and other sites they'll it'll be up soon for um uh, pre-orders for the second edition so um we're back with our three guests talking about awakening into consciousness and before the break i posed a question about um where is christianity evolving and what's the future of religion now uh in in my book pope annalisa which you probably just heard something of during the commercial break um you know, uh, I, I, I mentioned in there that the body, and I'm more, I'm more familiar with the Catholic tradition than I am with the fundamentalist traditions, but uh, it's mentioned in the book that the body is changing. The head is not trying to change. But if, if, if the body changes and the head doesn't, the head is going to die. So I do believe at some point in the future, we will see a female pope. I do believe that we will see female female clergy in in the Catholic Church because in early Christianity, females were the leaders before the Roman Empire essentially corrupted what was called the way back then, the teachings of Jesus, which were not a religion, incidentally, but they were a spiritual approach to life. So anyway, my question to our guests is, where do you see Christianity evolving and what is the future of religion? Uh, Bishop, could you give us your thoughts on that? I don't think that Christianity will evolve as much as it will dissolve. I think in the next 50 to 100 years, religion as we've known it will begin to dissipate and ultimately disappear and not be repeated or repaired, but replaced 
by a different spiritual paradigm, a different modality that marries science, technology, mysticism, and or spirituality to a different God logic or theology. Uh, the logic of, di of divinity will express itself because this, the human race as a species is being upgraded. I think the universe is clearing, cleansing, and correcting itself through clearing out global warming. All of this is a part of the cleansing. Religion being exposed the way it is in America, and particularly, especially as it relates to uh, uh, white uh, Christian nationalism. Uh, there's a difference in Christian whiteness and Christian witness. So I think the nationalism is exposing something in evangelical Christianity, which exposes to the world uh, a a um, a creepy, dissolving uh, reality that no longer is relevant. So I, I really expect some very exciting quantum leaps, if you will, and peeps into a broader consciousness. John, do you have any any uh, any comments on this? Well, I think I think that Christianity, in some ways, over the last few years, has essentially been forced to evolve in some ways. And what I mean is, is there's a lot more ministers who really have a deeper understanding. Um, uh, what Bishop Pearson has been talking about for over 20 years, many of those ministers who are doing what they're doing, they know what he's been telling is the truth. But many of them have not felt like they can say it publicly. Some are starting to do that. And we're starting to see, I don't know if you call it a softer, but yeah, we can call it a softer. I call it Christian light. <laughs> it's Christian light beer. Uh, you're starting to see a lot more of that. But then you see an uprising even over the last five or six years of people who are trying to drag it back to an old way of being. But Joel Osteen, I mean, I'll call him out by name, is really kind of more of a subtle new thought teacher than he is a Christian preacher. Andy Stanley in the Atlanta area with a large congregation. They're beginning to say some things that uh, they were really afraid of years ago. Rob Bell helped to push this forward. Of course, he was essentially expelled um, and resigned from his church because of uh, a lot of the controversy that was going on because he, he felt like he didn't want to drag himself or his people through to a place they didn't want to go. Mm -hmm. I think Christianity has already evolved a little bit, but I agree with Bishop Pearson. I think we have come to realize as a human race, that we do not need religious dogma of any sort, that we can bow to the previous religions, the religions around Jesus, Buddha, um, around Latsu, around Is Islam and, and Muhammad. We can bow to all of those, Krishna, all of the ancient religions and say, thank you for getting us this far and not in an angry way, walk away, but we can salute and we can say thank you and walk on into a brand new paradigm. That's why we're having a, a struggle or a challenge trying to even figure out what a new language is. Because we, we're tied to having to say God or having to say Jesus or Buddha or the Vedas. But I think we're coming into a new, broader paradigm to that. Well, you, you touch on something that, um, that I have a question of, and it gets to the heart of, um, I guess, the mechanics of how you run a spiritual ministry. And I'm, I'm going to ask uh, this question of, of Pastor Polk. But being too dogmatic or creed-oriented is stifling. But one of the reasons Orthodox Christianity prevailed over the far more spiritually advanced groups like the Gnostics was that they had a definable creed or principles they stood for, right or wrong. So even alternative churches like Unity or CSL are based on teachings of people like Holmes and Fillmore. 
And what central or coherent message, uh, what central or coherent, excuse me, we have a, uh, my wife left her phone in here and we have a little interruption. She wanted to be on the interview. No big deal. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what, what central or coherent message uh, can you use to attract people to an all-inclusive spiritual church without falling into, you know, orthodox teachings of, 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 of one figure or another? What, what it, you know, being open-ended is good, but by the same token, you know, having something that's definable to people and say, well, this is the reason I'm going to this, you know, particular church. How do, how do you strike that balance, Pastor Polk? I think we offer a very loose framework. Uh, blessed, one of my mentors used to say, blessed are the flexible for they shall not be broken. Um, one of the approaches uh, in, in a spiritually uh, diverse, progressive community of expanded consciousness is to instill what we would call spiritual practices. They're not dictates, they're not dogmas, because our own spiritual maturation process is in our own hands. And so, yeah, we need a spiritual practice of uh, connection with the other high vibratory beings. Um, we need to give uh, to the place that is feeding or helping us to, to wake up. Um, we need to believe in the vision of the, of the local um, community. Those are kind of loose, uh, a loose structure that, that we have at my own community that seems to be working in some ways. But I think there is a, a radical shift, Peter, uh, in that, that, that line of question that you offered to us. And, and this actually came up in your chat, uh, in the live chat. Um, and I answered that. And, and that is that the idea of mega church expression in a new thought spiritual dimension is not going to be the norm. Now, now I'm not bringing a lower vibration into this, but the, the motivations of fear, shame, uh, enemy consciousness, sin, yeah guilt, all of that, we don't, we don't have those motivators to build something large because the people who are attracted to our communities are already somewhat self-sustaining. If they were not self-governing, they would not survive uh, in a spiritual community that says there is no such thing as sin. You're creating your own reality. And so there are some growing pains. Um, hopefully we are headed toward reformation and not revolution. Uh, there is a pain of change, but I believe that change is possible when the pain of remaining the same becomes greater uh, than the pain of change. And so uh, this this big cruise liner that we call the Christian church, uh, it is turning around, but it's it's going to turn around very, very slowly. But, you know, I believe in spiritual communities, we do need a loose structure. But I think you mentioned this early, earlier, Peter, we have nothing to teach. Our job is not to teach. Our job mm -hmm. is to help people remember what they've forgotten. And so really our job in essence is to remove the obstacles that keep people from remembering that they're made in the image and likeness of God and good. And so in that framework, it is difficult to build what, what we might typify as mega churches. There are a few, I think the Mile High Church in Denver, um, Doc, uh, Reverend Dr. Michael Beckwith has an expression of that. Uh, and hopefully more and more will be attracted to it. But at this stage of the tipping point, uh, it does seem to be somewhat slow and steady. John, now you, you, um, you're the pastor of a, of a, of a unity church uh, in St. Petersburg, uh, fair, fairly new there. And um, what what is your feeling about this? How do you strike that balance between, uh, you know, the open-ended teachings, uh, you know, versus having some kind of 
um, uh, something that uh, core message that people can identify with. So, so yeah, and we are loosely associated with unity. We're actually kind of um, almost really independent new thought um, community. Yeah. You know, what, what Pastor Park said is true. There's a lot of people who gather around. In fact, it seems to be statistically easier to get people to gather around a common enemy than to gather around um, a, a common um, sort of goal or inspiration. You know what? Here's, here's our motivation here. And I continue to tell our staff this, our board this. Love, true, unconditional love. Love is undeniable and irresistible. And let's just keep doing that. Let's just keep doing that. So that anything we're teaching, I'll say on any given Sunday, I said some things today passionately, and I really believe these things, and you don't have to believe any of it. And at first, people are like, what the hell does he mean? I don't have to believe it. Anyway, hey, he was so excited about it. I am, you know, I, look, we are kind of a buffet. Pick up what you want. That's working for us. We're growing tremendously, quickly. Uh, people, I believe, are tired of being bamboozled. They're tired of dishonesty and a lack of authenticity. And if we show up not just saying that we're love, but acting it, being it, uh, choosing to walk in that consciousness, people know what's real. They can Google what isn't. So that's what we're doing. We're just presenting love. That's it. That's okay. all I got. Now, um, you know, I, I, I've done a lot of speaking in the past. And I know that when I step up on that stage, people tend to look at you as almost like a god or an authority on the subject that you're speaking about. And people do tend to fall into, I guess I would call it spiritual laziness and follow personality or charismatic figures. In fact, when I when I get in the stage, often the first thing I say is, don't believe a damn thing I'm going to tell you. Because, <laughs> because uh, I, I, you know, I want them to become their own prophets or their own revelations, because that's really the end goal. You know, the, the, the end, the end goal really is, it is to encourage people to do their own practice, to work themselves into uh, a relationship with, you could call it God consciousness, whatever, whatever it is, that force. How, how, how do we do that? Uh, Bishop, I'm going to pose the question to you. I mean, you, you know, you've obviously been up on that stage uh, in front of many thousands of people. How, how, how do you, how do you sort of transition the audience away from you and on to the, you know, the message of what they can, they can become if you understand what I'm asking. I, I often say, <clears throat> excuse me, we spell words, but words also spell us or cast spells on us. A spell is an enchantment. It's where we get the whole, the whole idea of the Gregorian chant or the cantor in a synagogue. It's a repetition of something. The people fall under your spell. You've heard of a spellbinding speaker or a spell, a set spellbound. Whenever we teach or speak, whoever we are, if we have a certain charismatic, it is unavoidable that the people are under your spell temporarily. For the moment that you're standing before them, helping to not teach as much as remind them of what they already know, but for God, they're under a spell. And we say the same things repetitiously because something about repetition uh, is, a, is a form of faith. It causes people to uh, resonate with what you're, you're already reminding them of. So it's unavoidable as long as you know that you're, you're under a spell and casting that same spell or enchantment 
on that group, you're going to be okay. But if you forget that, that's where you have the problems. So be aware of it. And you don't have to apologize for it. Just know that you're do, you're literally, mani- the, the word, Latin word for hand is manis. You're manipulating the crowd. Even if it's just you and one person, like we're talking to thousands right now, we're manipulating. That's not a negative term. We're handling a subject, a delicate subject of consciousness, of spirituality, of, of esoteric remembrances. Uh, but when you get through, you're done. And you leave them with their own self, their own selves, their own soul, their own psyche, and go on. And um, Pastor Paul, can you say a few words about this? You, you know, it's interesting um, talking about mainstream teaching. You know, there, there are some mainstream uh, central, uh, whether you call it theology or dictates um, or uh, streams of consciousness that that we hit every single Sunday. And that is that we are vibrational beings in a vibrational universe that we're created by God, creative like God, and co-creating with and as gods. Uh, and so really what that boils down to is that your own spiritual journey becomes something that you navigate for yourself. Um, and so re- repetition of those teachings is important. Hopefully they don't become dogmatic. As Bishop Pearson said to me one time, uh, he was speaking in a lot of new thought churches, and he said, I don't think they've had a new thought in, tw- in the last 20 years. Um, and so we don't want to be locked into just Ernest Holmes or the Fillmores or Eckhart Tolle or Deepak Chopra. These are wonderful guides, but we are so we are fellow sojourners um, on this on this uh, you know, trip of, of of awakening together. Um, and so in that in that framework, we do offer people a flexible structure. Um, and that's something I think that we can build around. I think there is a tipping point, um, Peter, that is happening. We see the failures of mega churches. I was part, I was a child watching one crumble. Uh, we see that, um, that building idols uh, to men and women who stand in the pulpit does not work because that keeps the idea of divinity limited to one, one person instead of the awakening that we are all uh, divine and have divine nature. Uh, those are things that are shifting, but they're shifting and sifting uh, very slowly. I hope that we can be a voice of uh, reason and rationality and more than just a voice of revolution. And I think that's the, the platform that Spirit is uh, providing for us in, in this season. Yeah, I, I think um, the common thread that I've heard here, and this is certainly how I think of myself uh, with the work that I'm doing, is I try to always think of myself as a signpost rather than a destination along that spiritual path that, you know, that we spoke about. And if we keep that mentality in ourselves, then, you know, uh, we don't fall, hopefully we don't fall into that trap of um, adulation, you know, which can easily happen when you're, you know, in front of thousands of people all the time who kind of, you know, um, you know, look up to you or look to you for answers or whatever. And, uh, you know, we just have to keep reminding ourselves of that. so uh, we're getting close to the uh, end of our show here. Uh, I understand that there is a, um, a conference coming up, a Rising into Consciousness conference. Uh, John, can you tell us a little bit about that? I can, I can. And to tag on to what you said, Peter, you know, even after all of this time, the sun never says to the earth, you owe me. And so if we will be the same. We shine a bright light in people's life and we can be that signpost instead of a destination. The Awakening Conference is something that we're doing here in St. Petersburg, Florida. You are all invited. And some of the folks who are on this show today are going to be a part of our guest 
as guest speakers, bringing their light into that event that is April the 20th through the 23rd um, here at St. Petersburg. It is First Unity Spiritual Campus, firstunity.org. Firstunityevents.com is the landing page for that event. Dr. Michael Beckwith is going to be with us, Dr. Lakara Foster. We're also going to have Maggie Alderman, who is uh, the minister at uh, Central Florida uh, Unity in Orlando. She'll be joining us along with Bishop Pearson and Pastor D.E. Polk. We're going to have a great uh, musical expression on Saturday night. We're doing a cultural musical expression. It's going to be fantastic with different cultures being represented, at least the five major world religions being celebrated in our space here, because we want to express our radical inclusion. And I'm just excited. You know, look, I I thought after pandemic, let's give it a shot. I hadn't been to very many conferences and to confer together is a good thing, but that's awakening conference rising into consciousness is our theme, April the 20th through the 23rd. And Peter, thank you uh, for allowing us to come on and share and to also promote that conference event. Yeah, well, I, I really encourage uh, everybody, um, you know, if you're in the area or uh, St. Petersburg's a great town, um, if you, you know, care to visit there and, and attend the conference, I'm, uh, I'm sure it's going to be uh, worthwhile for everybody. So, um, you know, we pretty much come to the end of our show. Uh, I want to give a big thanks to our producer, Rachel, and to our three guests today. Um, please listen for new shows the first Tuesday of every month, Quantum Spirituality. Um, this show will be archived on my Dream Vision 7 radio network page, which is accessible from my website, petercanova.com. That's P-E-T-E-R-C-A-N-O-V-A.com. So until next time, remember, quantum spirituality is where the past and the present, where mysticism and science merge to show us our future. So long, everybody. This ends today's segment of Quantum Spirituality, the show where the past and present merge to show us our future. Join us the first Tuesday of each month for cutting-edge information and informative new episodes. This show will be archived on the Quantum Spirituality Dream Vision 7 Radio Network website page, also accessible at petercanova.com. That's P-E-T-E-R-C-A-N-O-V-A dot com. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow.